Hello, and welcome to Make It Clear, a conversational podcast about all things related to water and wastewater. I'm your host, Angela Bounds, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sean Rapp. In each episode, we'll tackle a relevant topic with facts and expert opinions and make things clear. Thanks for joining us again. Today, we're talking about funding of municipal projects. So as we all know, when you're securing any kind of municipal project or when you're working on any type of municipal project, you typically have to secure funding from various sources, various availability in funds to complete the project. So today we're joined by Mike Saunders and Bill Snyder. Hello. Angel. So both of these gentlemen have been with us before. Bill works as our Northeast regional sales guy on the municipal side. And Mike is actually the leader for the municipal sales group. So thank you for joining us. Let's hop right in. So let's talk a little bit about how municipal wastewater projects are funded. With with, with money. (laughs) Next question. Okay. uh, Taxpayers' money. money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it's uh, it's obviously a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. Sometimes they have money in the bank. Sometimes they have to borrow. And it really depends on what they're, a lot of times, what they're financing. You know, in, in utilities, a lot of times they're renewing or replacing old stuff. And, and that's usually paid for by ratepayers And all the new stuff, usually they have to pay, well, the people that benefit normally pay. And when they can't afford it, they have to borrow money. And that's usually through USDA loans or clean water SRF funds or all kinds of different ways. Mm-hmm. And then there's new infrastructure too that developers put in and that's that's easy stuff. It's just con- the developer pays for it and contributes it to the system. And and then to a lesser extent, more and more too, you're seeing some private financing coming into the puzzle sometimes too. Um, so let's start with the easy stuff. Let's start with developer projects. How do those get funded? Well, it's great. A utility that has really strong standards will the developer will come in and say, I've got this great development I want to put in and what do I have to build? And the utility will say, here's here's our standards, do a design. And when it's all built, they turn it over to the utility for ownership and maintenance and basically sell it to the utility for a dollar. And uh, and so that's really easy. And um, I guess yeah. sometimes I guess what gets lost in that equation, though, is, you know, it, is the technology still the right technology for the development? Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen communities with 10 homes put in a $200,000 list station and right. they do it just because. <laughs> just because it's what they know. Mm-hmm. What about system expansions? Well, so to me, system expansion is anytime you need more capacity. So that could be an expansion of the treatment plant. That could be adding more lines. It could be increasing the size of the lines. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, when people connect to a utility system, they pay what's called as an impact fee or a connection fee. And in theory, that connection fee is supposed to cover the incremental cost to expand the system. But I said that's kind of a theory. In actuality, <laughs> usually those fees are understated. And right. a lot of times the utility has to go out and borrow additional money to get those mm-hmm. projects done. Yeah. The grants 
for feasibility studies, start over again with those processes, along with a lot of the funding that you see to do rehabilitation for both pump stations, as well as system extensions, relining pipes, all that. It just is a repeat process, depending on the size of the job. Yeah. So we're often involved in septic to sewer projects, right? How are Mm -hmm. those funded? So septic to sewer, always a, a, a really interesting topic because, you know, I've been, I've been in this industry for 25 years and it's interesting when I worked for utility many moons ago and we did septic to sewer, it didn't seem like we could ever do septic to sewer because the theory was that we would develop the cost and everybody would get their, their share of that project cost. And, Mm -hmm. and then if the number was too big, you'd have a public revolt and the project would never go anywhere. And seems like certainly as time has gone on, there's been certainly a more or a bigger commitment to use third-party money to to mm. support septic to sewer. And that can be mentioned at the start of this, mentioned USDA funds. So they're they're mm-hmm. usually used for small communities to develop infrastructure. Clean water SRF funds are common. Mm-hmm. And then now more than more is, I mean, and, and when you talk septic to sewer, the dollar amounts are huge. I mean, right. There's a program in Cape Cod where it's more than $100,000 a property to, to provide, sir. They're not right. using our technology, by the way. <laughs> so what happens is then they start tapping other sources. And so that could include general tax money where they say, hey, everybody gets a benefit from us protecting the environment. They make everybody pay. Could be existing ratepayers, which I'm not sure how that how they sell that because that doesn't really appear to me that that's a... They've already paid for their sewer, I guess. Why would they pay for somebody else's sewer? Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's local set-aside monies for, you know, some estuaries or something that they can use. Cape Cod, they're using bed taxes, arguing that all the, mm-hmm. the, the tourism needs clean water, and therefore everybody that comes and has that benefit should contribute as, you know, as part of the rooms they rent. And then what gets really interesting is is determining if the project is actually going to be affordable. And then that even gets more confusing because that's how they decide grants and loans. (laughs) Right. So speaking of loans, how do the loans get paid back? So most often these these property owners that are affected. So what's left over after all the grant money is the loan component. And like I said, if it's if it's the amount that the each benefiting property has to pay, they actually either get an assessment on their taxes Mm -hmm. or it could be in their rates. And essentially, whatever that total amount of payback is each year, they, they divvy it up and they each pay that on their tax bill every year as, a, as an annual assessment. And these can be long. It, it, what's interesting is I know the USDA will go 40 years. And in some cases, they're financing infrastructure beyond mm-hmm. the usable life of the infrastructure, right. <laughs> which I've always kind of, that's kind of weird. If a lift station needs to be rehabbed in 20 years, how do you have a loan for 40? Yeah, but you're still paying on it when you have to rehab it. Yeah, Just add yeah. it on. So you did talk a bit also about affordability. So when you say affordability, why don't you talk a little bit about what exactly that means? I know that sewer construction costs, depending on what you use, can get pretty expensive. Yeah, so the general definition of affordability is 2% of the median household income. Mm-hmm. So essentially, what that means is if you had a median household income for a community of $100,000, they could afford, in theory, a $2,000 a year sewer bill. 
there's been a lot of discussion on whether that really makes sense or not, because what it doesn't measure is how many homes can actually afford. You could have one homeowner that makes $2 million a year and throw the whole, the whole right. formula out of, out of whack. Uh, the other thing that makes it, it, you know, a lot of the places that don't have sewer are actually much lower income. So the formula really yields a very low number in, in a lot of rural communities where the median household income could be 30,000 or even lower. Mm-hmm. And try to imagine that now you're, you're, if it's 30,000, you're down to $600 a year that you can use for wastewater. And that includes paying for the infrastructure and your sewer bill. So how do communities that have median household incomes of less than $50,000, how do they afford a new sewer system? Well, that's where grants come in. So the formula is they start with a, a number and say, okay, here's what it's going to take to build a system. Mm-hmm. And then they figure out what they can actually afford. And the grant money is the difference. Mm-hmm. So for example, in the Cape Cod where I throw out there that they, were, they had $100,000 per property sewer, the, the, they put a maximum assessment of $20,000 out there. So that they got $80,000 that they had to make up in right. grant money to make it affordable, or at mm-hmm. least money from other sources. And unfortunately, and I, I'll use the word unfortunately, is that's, that's the unfortunate part of the formula is that you start with what they can afford, and then you, you come up with a project, and then the project sits there until they have enough money to subsidize it. Mm-hmm. So what that means is a lot of projects take a long time to materialize because they don't have enough grant money and can't make them affordable. Or they, you lose, I've heard this term thrown around, you lose innovation, is mm. that there's not really that much of a push for innovation because you know, there's not accountability. If you're going to get grant money for that difference in between, why innovate? Why try to find a more cost-effective right. solution? Right. So if roughly 80% of wastewater projects are funded by the USDA, how is that working? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I always say I'm not sure that the numbers are sustainable. So in 2018, for example, 78% of the projects that the USDA funded, and this doesn't include just septic sewer, this includes all wastewater projects. Mm-hmm. 78% of those projects required some form of grant money. Mm-hmm. So that means that only 22% of the projects that they, they financed, did they deem that they were affordable to the community? Think right. about that for a second. I mean, it's, right. so I, that's why I always kind of frame that in terms of sustainability. Is that really sustainable that we have to subsidize everything we build? And yet somehow we keep doing the same thing over and over again. And so that right. goes back to that, my complaint or other people's complaints that it's that, you know, Grants are probably necessary, but if you have grants that stifle innovation, they're part of the problem sometimes, not part of the solution. I always forget that people can't see your faces when questions are asked. So if you have a community that has a low median income and there is the possibility that they would get 100% funding from grants, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. How is that not good for the community? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I think, you know, a lot of people ask that. They go, well, I'm not mm-hmm. paying anything because like, they'll have, let's say they'll have a vote on whether to approve right. a project. And they'll, um, they'll, they'll, you know, if you ask them, they go, oh, if it's 100% grant, why would I care? Right. And that's a great question because on the surface, you, you probably wouldn't. But 
I guess the easiest way, if we steer away from wastewater and we compare it to something else, I mean, if let's say you had an open checkbook for a family of four to buy them a family vehicle, and because you got the money, you went out there and bought a, an old Greyhound bus. So right. here you go. This will get you to school every day. And well, yeah, they can't afford to upkeep it. They, <laughs> they can't even <laughs> afford the fuel in it. And frankly, right. it does. It's not a solution that necessarily mirrors up with what their needs were. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, that's the parallel that you see in a lot of communities. I was looking, I remember I was looking at a community, I think it was in Missouri several months ago. And it only had 100 homes. The home, mm-hmm. the community was split by a railway track down the middle of it. And it, the, it was laid out for gravity sewer and two lift stations. And mm-hmm. just since I've been in the industry a long time, I looked at that and went, there's no way that that is the best value solution for this community because you right. only have 50 homes on each side sharing the cost of operating these list stations that can be ten to $15,000 a year in O&M costs. It just mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. It's interesting when I see, you know, we've seen projects that were going to be 100% funded with ex- exorbitant costs. And I always look at that and think, how many communities could they fund mm-hmm. if they were required to do their due diligence, if they were required to look for more innovative solutions, look for more sustainable, cost-effective solutions, like you talked about, they could do two, three communities for the cost of one. Oh, exactly, yeah. And that's what always gets me, is that where are you going to get the biggest bang for your buck? It was interesting. Last week, I was doing some hunting. That's what I do as a salesperson. I have to do a little hunting every right. now and again. And I started looking for some opportunities, and I was looking through some government documentation. And as I was looking through it, there's a lot of feasibility grant money for feasibility studies right. and work right. and whatnot. And what was interesting about it was, is that amongst many other things, not even wastewater related, all through this list, and there was probably, I don't know, 10, 15 pages of it, over and over and over again, you were seeing, you know, grants and, and monies being issued to address INI issues. Mm-hmm. lift station repair, things like that in these communities where, uh, you know, th- they put in a sewer system, the system's aging, keeping in mind that we don't buy and operate a, a wastewater system for 10 years or five years. It's 20 years, it's 25 years, 30 years. Right. And that's where some of the trouble starts because sometimes the cost of refurbishing a lift station is certainly not going to come from the budget money right. from municipality. And certainly going in and slip lining piping or relining manholes is also not typically inside of the annual budget money for a municipality. Mm-hmm. But here's the interesting thing. After looking through all those pages, take a guess at what I didn't see. I don't know. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> I didn't see anything in there or any funding related to any kind of pressure sewer. No, mm. that's, that's not, not so surprising. I, uh... Nothing. Nothing well, of any kind with small diameter pipe and pressure sewing. It's right. always about gravity. So think about mm-hmm. that for a minute of what those costs are associated for some of the smaller communities that we go to work with, mm-hmm. that we target and we work with, and they put in 100% you know, financially supported system. Right. Now what happens down the road? Right. Well, or how many feasibility studies do, do they do? 
right? They get this grant funding for a feasibility study and the feasibility study says it's not feasible. So, right. Well, well I mean, well, so I'll, I'll tell you a story and this kind of gets kind of points to the trouble. We were sitting in a, and I won't say the state and won't say the engineer, but a USDA state engineer's office. And really that was the question we posed is how in the world do you have communities that are almost exactly the same? Mm-hmm. And, and USDA, to their benefit, the USDA actually requires that they do a study to come to the best value solution for the community. So the question was, well, how do you have very, very similar communities having completely different solutions and no questions asked, both get financed and grant money is used to make it? We posed that question. Uh-huh. And the answer I got back was, well, that's the engineer's prerogative. They sign a seal and I'm okay. And mm-hmm. then, this, then the follow-up statement was, and we're just a bank. And yeah. basically inferring that, hey, we have this pot of money and our job is just to get rid of it. And I, I didn't know what to do at that point as a, <laughs> as a taxpayer, how upset I was, or just somebody in the industry, how upset that made me. Mm-hmm. That somebody was actually getting paid and made that statement. And this goes back to the whole thing is, you know, sometimes yeah, grants are necessary, but are, are they part of the problem or part of the solution? And we just need more people committed that they're part of the solution. Well, and, and the measuring stick, in my mind, and I mean, this was an older gentleman near retirement, and his measuring stick was at the end that he just wanted to be held accountable for getting, he wanted to be pat on the back for getting rid of all the money in the year. And, and you can look down that same state's USDA funding list, and it's, it's kind of like Bill alluded to, is if you look at the projects that are on there, you will find out that 80% of the projects that they're subsidizing are the return ones 20 to 50 years later where they're fixing mm-hmm. stuff. And they, again, right. they still can't afford it. Right. So this revolving door is just perpetuates the problem. And again, in terms of sustainability, it's important to note you know, that the, the CPI for, for water and wastewater is running at double the rate of of the CPI for everything. So, right. so now in a time where, you know, we're all aware of in- inflation, well, if we keep this, <laughs> keep doubling it, it, again, it's, it's not sustainable. People in these communities, even though our intent was to make systems affordable, they're not affordable. They're, they're outpacing everything else. Right. So there are lots of issues around grant funding, how the grants are handed out and issued. How do we, how do we flip that and make it so that, as you said, the grants are part of the solution and not part of a problem. Well, my opinion, my personal opinion is it just starts with accountability and data, good data. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, there's so many examples out there of communities. You know, you can't always jump to the conclusion that a wastewater system gets in trouble because of the system. Sometimes it's it's level of operation and maintenance. And so there's a lot of things in that puzzle. And I, I, I believe that, you know, regulators and, and people that control the purse strings need to be much more involved in not only tracking these communities, getting themselves trained. I mean, I mean, we, it's amazing how many people regulate what we do and have no idea what we do. Right. <laughs> and we offer it all the time, and, but we're not allowed to train regulators. I think that they need to be more involved in the communities and and assuring that they're being run properly and that the costs come to the surface. If you've got a utility that has a gravity sewer and a lift station and they don't fix anything for 30 years and mm-hmm. they've never created reserves, right. don't tell people that their utility bill is $25 a month. 
their utility bill is actually three times that or four times that because right. they're, you know, they're not running the system properly. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of, of having that bus and not changing the oil. Mm-hmm. It's going to break down eventually. All right. You guys have anything else you want to add about funding projects or grants? Well, I, you know, I think at the start of this, I mean, and, and obviously I'm a little bit jaded. I, I like to think, even though Renko's been around for over 40 years, we're still, we're still considered innovative, mm-hmm. but we are very focused on, on filling the gap for small rural communities and off the grid wastewater solutions. And I think it's really important for our regulators and for people that control the purse strings to really take the time to understand all the, op- not just Aranko, all the options, make right. sure that the data that, that is attached to those systems is real, you know, and mm-hmm. even write permits that create more data points. I mean, I've always right. complained about that is collect more data. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that, so that it's there and it's, you know, when engineers are, are making up theoretical data about types of systems, well, why? We have real data. Right. <laughs> it's all out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's, 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 you know, when you think about how many billions of dollars are spent on wastewater solutions to spend, you know, a tenth of that or even a hundredth of that on proper regulation and proper mm-hmm. control of the, the money, I think is money well spent. And I think that's right. just, we need, need to make that shift. Yeah. So very true. All right, Bill, do you have anything to add before we close this out? Just. Maybe it's a little bit of elaboration on Mike said, but you know, some definite oversight would be beneficial in the funding process. You know, kind of pushing people down the path to, if you're going to use, you know, government-funded money, tax money, etc., to fund municipal projects like that, there there needs to be somebody guiding people and making sure that alternate mm-hmm. technology is being looked at across the board. It, yeah. current, that's not necessarily always the case. It gets mm-hmm. picked out a long time ahead of it. And a lot of the primary stakeholders that are involved in these things don't always understand enough about what's really out there. Right. And right. it seems like, you know, we, we hand out a lot of money, but we're not doing the due diligence, due diligence to make sure it's being spent appropriately and used in the best way possible for each community. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Mike and Bill. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We want to thank you again for joining us today. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe where you listen to podcasts so you're notified when new episodes are posted. Also, you can leave your comments or suggestions through the contact link on our website, www.arenco.com. Until next time, have a great day.